Welcome to the Coop Tank. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And I got to tell you something, people. Uh, I'm on Facebook a lot, and, and there's a section that comes up with people you may know. And occasionally, you see someone from your past. And occasionally, you see someone with a really bad profile picture. And then it happened to me. I kept seeing this person's profile picture, and it was annoying me because it was such a bad picture. So I actually friended them just so I wouldn't have to see their picture, and then I stopped following them. But this person today, she popped up in my people you may know. And I look at her name, and then I, I look at her face, and I'm like, I know this person. We had like four friends in common. And I figured out she lived in the same building of me in San Diego years ago. Now, now that was a completely different life for me. I mean, it was my life's completely different now because I'm happy. But she was there, and she worked for the city attorney, and now she's like this she has her own firm. She's, she's on TV. She has a radio show. She she loves still loves her wine. And my guest is Jonna Spilbor. How you doing, Jonna? Steve, how are you? You made me nervous there. I thought I was the one with the crappy profile picture, but I'm glad to know it wasn't me. <laughs> now, do you ever get that? Like you see a profile and you're like, I I see it. And I I'm aggro like that. I'm like, I hate this picture. And I finally just had to send them a friend request, hoping one, they wouldn't accept, so I no longer see the picture. But once they did, I put them on follow, but it wasn't you, your profile picture's great. Phew, okay, good, that's good. Now, I have not talked to you forever, and I really wanna find out, how'd you end up back in Poughkeepsie? Like, you, you, you I mean, first of all, how'd you become a lawyer? <laughs> well, okay, so that's a little bit of a long story. I'll try to keep it. Uh, brief. So you knew me back in San Diego, which, and I hope we can commiserate a little bit about that later on in your show. But prior to moving to San Diego, what I wanted to be when I grew up was really an actress. I mean, from the time I was, you know, knee high to a grasshopper, as they say, I wanted to be an actress. I could not fathom how everybody on the planet didn't want to be an actress. And I, I remember vividly having a conversation one day with my mother when I was very small, asking her like, why aren't you an actress? How come nobody wants, I, am I the only one who wants to be an actress? I don't understand. And she had to explain to me that not everybody wants to do that. So I grew up wanting to be an actress. But when I reached adulthood, um, my father turned to me one day and said, you know, we're gonna foster your dreams, but why don't you have a plan B just in case? So I, my plan B, being a, a lawyer was actually my plan C because my plan B was I was going to get on TV one way or another. So I was going to be a, re a reporter on the six o'clock news. In order to work my way up to that, I started as a newspaper reporter, making $5.15 an hour, quickly figured out that that wasn't going to cut it, and then uh, decided that I was going to go to law school. And that's how it all, that's how it all began. Best move I ever made most unexpected move I ever made. So now where did you go to law school at? So, and that's why you know me because what ended up happening was when I decided to go to law school, I took the opportunity to sort of spread my wings and I was sitting in my parents' basement in Poughkeepsie and I took out a map of the United States and I said, what is the farthest point from Poughkeepsie, New York in the continental US and it turned out to be San Diego. So that's where I decided to go to law school. And I went to, uh, you know, a, not a fantastic school, but it was a law school in San Diego. And that's how you, and if I can mention your then wife, 
got to know me because we ended up living in the same building. Now, how did you decide what kind of law you wanted to do? Because I remember we came over to your place one time and you were dating this blonde guy who was a golfer and he was so politically different than you. And you were saying something about, well, if a DUI, if if the cop pulls over someone for DUI, but they pulled him over the wrong reason and he was aggro about it. And I was cracking up how you guys dated because it was completely different because you were you were a, a prosecutor, right? I started out as a prosecutor um, because if you remember, San Diego 17 miles from the Mexican border and there was no shortage of crime. So it was easy to kind of uh, get your career off the ground by working for a prosecutor. So I started out in the city attorney's office in San Diego. And then I went over to the um, U.S. attorney's office in San Diego. But yeah, so I think I just started in the field of criminal law and quickly realized that if you want to make a mark and make money, working for the government is not the way to do it. So I switched over from prosecution to criminal defense. And yeah, a lot of people to this day don't really understand the role of a criminal defense attorney. Like they think that if you're a criminal defense attorney, you love crime and you're all crime, like go crime. That's not it. It's exactly what you remember. And I'm actually shocked and, and humbled by the fact that you remember that. It's about preserving people's rights. Everybody has them, whether you're in, in connection with a crime or otherwise. And that's really what the job of a criminal defense attorney is. And that's, that has always fascinated me. And since then, of course, my practice has expanded, but that's that's really what got me going. And it, and San Diego was a great place to, to get my feet wet. Now, is it hard, some cases back then especially, were they hard because you may, you may believe that someone's wrong, but you believe in the law. And I understand that because it's the thing. Like when it was uh, with um, Ginsburg and the other Scalia, who had the one guy who passed away, they both were on the far opposite ends, but they respected each other because they loved what the law is does that make it easier because you got to sit there sometimes and you go you know how do you sit there and say i'm doing this because it's the law and everyone that's a constitutional right to you deserve this kind of defense Mm -hmm. you know that's actually the easy part steve because even let's say you're representing somebody who is uh, scum of the earth for lack of a better word right it's not the job that i'm doing is not protecting the scum of the earth so that they continue to be the scum of the earth. I am protecting the rights that everybody has. And it just so happens that those rights are being tested because the scum of the earth got caught doing something. And I need to make sure that the fourth, fifth, sixth, whatever amendment is coming into play in a criminal case is preserved so that when something happens to you on a much smaller scale, I'm sure, Um, that those rights are still going to be there for you and for your wife and for my parents and for everybody that we know and love. And it just so happens that the conduit to make sure that that is insured could be the scum of the earth. It could be somebody who's not the scum of the earth, but it's somebody who's been caught up in our criminal justice system. So I look at my role as much bigger than simply representing that one person. I'm representing, in essence, everybody. Now, what's your take 
on, okay, like Law and Order, they always show that, and you wanted to be an actress, so they always yeah. show the defense attorney, you know, and they're, and I've interviewed a bunch from my other podcasts. People go to coopertalk.net. You can find over 930 episodes up there. Um, I've interviewed people who played the defense attorneys, and they always really, they almost make him a character. As someone, for you, who's a lawyer and wanted to be an actress, what are your thoughts on that? Do you sit there and go, well, that's dead on, or that's like really elaborating acting? You know, that is so funny. A lot of times I would say that it's obvious to me that it's acting, but in, the, you know, I've been doing this a long time and I've met a lot of people and I've met some very, very staunch criminal defense attorneys, right. In my, in my line. And some of them are that character. Some of them just get so far into, I want to win this case at any cost, which is a little bit different than the way I view it. Now, don't get me wrong. Winning's good. Love to win but I'm, I'm wise enough to know that we're not gonna win them all. But there are some defense attorneys and those are the ones that I think are kind of, they explode when when you see a criminal defense attorney on, on the screen, that they take all those qualities and they just sort of explode them. There are those who just want to win and it doesn't matter how they do it, doesn't matter what their client did or didn't do, they just wanna win. And those are the the characteristics that make for good TV when you're making a defense attorney, when you're representing a defense attorney on Law and Order, or, you know, on the on the silver screen. Okay, so you're you're in San Diego, you switch mm -hmm. to defense attorney. Now, mm -hmm. when does the change of say I'm moving back to Poughkeepsie happen? Because it's funny when I moved back, I moved from San Diego to L.A. I met my now wife, who I went to college with, and I would come back once. A month to see her and then she moved to LA and we just said you know what we can't buy anything in LA LA is becoming a shithole you know I can be anywhere and we moved back what took you from and what took you from San Diego back to Poughkeepsie because I mean I'm like near Philly Poughkeepsie is small I mean it's 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 different from the gas lamp to Poughkeepsie yeah. oh my god so far different and I never thought I would like to see Poughkeepsie again when I left Poughkeepsie I was happy to be out of Poughkeepsie and then the thing that happened had nothing to do with the law, had nothing to do with what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. What happened was 9-11. Um, and I remember we I was still living in the same complex that you and I shared on 9-11. And um, when those planes hit the, the towers in New York City, all my family, when I left Poughkeepsie, I left my family. All my family is here. And when that happened, I just had a moment where I said, huh, you know, is what is it all about? Like uh, life is about being close to the people that you love, being able to make more memories with the people that you love, not being far away from them if they need you, if you need them. And in that instant, I said, I am, I'm going back. And, and trust me, going back was not going to be an easy thing. I was licensed to practice law in California. That was it. That was the only place I had ever practiced law. It's where I went to law school. Coming back to New York and trying to, to have a career was not going to be easy. I knew that. But um, being close to my family after something like that smacks you in the face and you realize just how fleeting life can be was more important than the, the pain and the effort it was going to take to make a life back in Poughkeepsie as a lawyer. And uh, that's what I did. So 9-11 happened in September 2021 in February 20, uh, sorry, 2001 and February 2002, I was a New Yorker once again. Now, how did you start building 
you're following. Like when I moved back, I worked for a restoration company and I had to start networking. All the people I went to high school with, I went to Cherry Hill East, they all owned their companies. They weren't out networking, you know, they're all doctors or lawyers. And, you know, and I had to start from scratch. Even though I knew all these people in Hollywood and I knew people from high school, for you, you're coming back, you don't have a license, your people you went with, you probably don't really remember and you probably are worlds apart because you've been out there's such a difference when you leave an area and then you come back and the people are a lot of times are the same where do you start do you sit there and say I, did you come back like ferocious like i gotta start kicking some ass or did you sit there and go you know just acclimate and check things out how did you start building a following and getting connections and getting licensed you know, and that's kind of and that's kind of a weird story. And you know, trust me, I did the traditional things. Like, well, first I worked on getting my license so I could actually practice law. Um, and then, you know, I did the whole typical. Back then, we used fax machines. I faxed a resume all over the place, and I would get, you know, some crumbs. People would say, "Come on in, I'll talk to you. You can do work." Uh, a lot of uh, lawyers that wanted me to do work wanted me to work for free which, you know, is kind of unheard of now. But then something really interesting happened. And that was in the move, in the move from San Diego to New York, all of my belongings got stolen by, at the time, there was this like strange uh, moving fraud ring. And it was happening, not to me, it was like ha happening to, to a lot of people. And because my, all my stuff got stolen and held for ransom, I got contacted, <laughs> this is so weird when I'm like, because I don't think about it often, by Dateline, the show Dateline, because Dateline was doing um, an expose on it. So I got contacted by Dateline and they wanted to interview me in New York City. And I think they actually borrowed a studio from like one of the major news networks and um, Fox, sorry, sorry, yeah. It wasn't Dateline. The first one that contacted me was a Fox affiliate, but then Dateline was the second show that I did. And when I went and did the interview at Fox, I walked out of the studio and a producer came up to me and said, you were fantastic. Would you like to do more work with us? And here I am, like I was, it's my case. I was, I was fantastic because I was fired up all of my shit was being held for ransom on a moving truck. I was mad as hell. And uh, I looked at him and I said, yeah. And then before I knew it, I was a regular on Fox. It was a regular on Court TV. And that really helped open doors for me to get my feet wet actually practicing law. Because now I wasn't just somebody randomly sending a resume to, you know, Joe Blow attorney in Poughkeepsie. I was, oh, I've seen you. Oh, you're the one who's on. Oh, okay. And then they wanted to talk to me. So it made it a little bit easier and a little bit different. And then I, because I wanted to be an actress, getting on TV and doing both the media and the practice of law was like a dream come true. What were some of those cases? Like, what would you do when you were on court TV? Because my wife's a big court TV watcher. I don't, I don't, I don't really watch it. We watch Dateline all the time. And uh, I've interviewed Josh Mankiewicz and he's great. He's, uh, he's just, he has stories out the ass. But <laughs> what... What were you doing when you're on TV? Because you aren't practicing yet, though. You're, you're licensed in New York, but you don't have a job, but yet you're on TV. Did you ever think of just saying, you know what? I wanted to be an actress or I wanted to be on TV. Screw this law shit. I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm just going to pursue TV. Did that ever cross your mind instead of just saying I'm not going to practice, just I'm focusing on this because that's some really good cash doing a show like that. And it's not real hard work because you don't have to do a lot of research. 
Yeah, that's true. Although you believe it or not, you do do sometimes you do do significant research. Um, the thought did cross my mind. It wasn't that easy to make the leap like into full time television. And I got myself an agent and then and then not only was I kind of doing the news thing, which is real and there was no shortage of that. Um, and it does take up a lot of time. So the time that I was able to actually practice was a little bit limited. But then I branched out and said, you know, I'll get an agent. Let me do other things. Let me audition for other television opportunities. And, you know, look, it's a hard knock life. Like you don't always you don't always get them. So I never wanted to give up the practice of law because that was always going to be my bread and butter. And if I couldn't make it, you know, in showbiz, I would have that to fall back on. And I really found a way, Steve, to like carve this perfect happy media and i don't i don't even know how i did like it just sort of happened i just just sort of happened and i and i've been really lucky that way and and both have helped like the, doing the tv stuff has helped in my you know brick and mortar law career and my brick and mortar law career has helped in on tv and i i don't want to stop i don't want to stop either one of them anytime soon now how did you start your law firm were you had did you have other jobs coming up to that because i had seen your post uh, you had posted about uh, being a woman business owner which i want to get to because i i run into a lot of business owners and and unfortunately it's still archaic sometimes when it comes to women business owners and it makes me pisses me off but how did you how did you branch to becoming a your own firm were you i mean because you had the tv persona so, and that's you're right people go oh wow uh, it's amazing back east not if you're not in New York City, how people are fascinated by celebrityism. Like if they see you, I was background on uh, Superstore, and my face, they did a close up of me. I'm in this whole scene, and people are sending me messages. I'm like, I got paid like a minimum wage. I was background, but people are just <laughs> fascinated. How did you start building your, what were your steps to getting your own practice going? So that was actually really, it was almost like the decision was made for me because at the time, uh, before I started the the firm that I'm sitting in now, I was working for a local law firm that was three male attorneys and a couple of support staff. And they were very well known and very well established in Poughkeepsie and they hired me. But the way they hired me was, so I was of counsel to the firm, which meant that I would get a percentage of the fees that came in to the firm on the cases that I that I worked. Well, what they didn't kind of make clear when I said okay to the job was that if they don't collect the fees, so if I work on a case that's a ten thousand dollar case, but they don't get ten thousand dollars from the client, I don't get my cut. So for a whole year, a whole year, this was two thousand and seven, I worked sixty to seventy hours a week. I traveled all over the state of New York in my car with my own gas. Uh, and zero money. And I made a total, a total that year as a lawyer with experience, $20,200, $20,200 for an entire year. So at the end of that year, I said to myself, I got nothing to lose. <laughs> I got nothing to lose. And now I got nothing to show for it. And I ain't got no money. So I said, I might, I could do this myself. I could do this myself and make more than $20,000 a year. And that's exactly what I did. I, I gave him my notice and said, thanks for the opportunity. And it was an opportunity. I, I appeared in every single podunk court 
in all of New York. Some of these courts are in sheds. Some of these courts are in bar. I'm not joking. And there I was driving myself all over creation, getting a lay of the land, learning about these. And judges don't have to be lawyers in these little towns and village courts in New York. I did it all. And then I said, I'm going to try my hand. And I had zero money. I, I, I broke up with a boyfriend who owed me a little cash. And that's how I got enough money to rent an office in 2008, hang a shingle, bought a box of tissues, had a computer, one desk, and a phone, and said, I'm gonna make this happen. And that's exactly what I did. So how did you start attacking the public and getting cases? I mean, it's, it has to be hard when, you know, people sit there and they think, you know, you're, you just came from the big company, the big firm, and now you're just, it's you. And it's something that people really, you really have to sell yourself if it's you, just you, because, People, it's, it's law, and most of us don't know a lot about it. And, I mean, I have friends who are lawyers, and I can ask them for advice, and they give me it. But when I'm picking a lawyer, it's really like someone you like. So how did you start getting clients, and what what made you different to them? What do you think made it where they said, we want to go with Jonas Spilbor? That is a really cool question. And one I haven't given a lot of thought to, but I can tell you that a lot of the decisions that I make and have made over my life are complete intuition, like guided by my gut every step of the way. And, and I can say that every time I didn't listen to my gut, I failed miserably. And every time I do listen to my gut, I don't. And so one of the things I knew back then to, to be um, a, a woman, solo practitioner, in a, in a kind of an old boy networky part of New York, I had to stand out. And the way I did that was I began, and this was a, a kind of like a mentor of mine. I was doing stuff on the radio, uh, on a popular radio station for free, giving free advice once a week, something that I still do to this day. I started that back in like 2005. And one of the, the station manager there said, you really should start advertising on the radio. Now, of course, he wanted me to advertise on the radio because it's very expensive to advertise on the radio and he was going to get some money out of it. But he actually said to me, I am going to put your name out there so much that people are going to get sick of hearing you. <laughs> and that is how you are going to create a buzz and that is how you are going to create a following. And I listened to him. And um, sure enough, sure enough, once I got out on the radio and I was advertising myself as a lawyer back then for one thing and one thing only, that was uh, DWI cases, drunk driving cases. So not only did I create a buzz because I was like the first person in the entire town to advertise legal services on the radio, but I was advertising something that people love to hate, drunk drivers. And so I had people who needed me who were loving the ads and they would flock in. And then I had the, the anti Jonas Billboards who hated the fact that I was what, what they thought condoning drunk driving, which not what I was doing. I'm just telling you, I'm here to represent you when you get caught. And that really, really took my career in a whole different direction. And, uh, and then from there, you know, branched out, really learned how to send a message on the radio different from everyone else. And then I, I had copycats that I had to contend with, but nobody had my voice. Nobody had my unique experience and virtually none of them, oddly, were women. I was the only, and to this day, I, to, to be honest with you, 
there's not a lot of us around. So it, it, I, it paid to go with my gut and go against the grain and not, and not be afraid to piss some people off. Cause I did. And, uh, but it, but it works and it not just for me. I mean, what I do is help people, Steve, this is, this is what I do. Like I, I wouldn't be here if people didn't need help. So, uh, it's a, it was a win-win. Now you said what you did was different. What was different about it? What was, I mean, it's something that not that you're a woman, not that you're just handling DUIs, but what made it different? Cause like in Philly now they have this guy, uh, Morgan and Morgan, and they're like, the big thing is they're not from Philly. And then there's a stupid-ass word in Philly called John, which isn't even a word. And it says Morgan, John. And I was like, I would never go to that lawyer just because it's a stupid fucking (laughs) sign. But, you know, some of these ads are just awful. I mean, you know how you see it. You know, it's like, I I got much this much money from such and such. What made you different? Because you said you were different. What made you different that people gravitated towards you? I wrote funny radio commercials for the law. Like you don't think of funny and law in the same sentence ever. All of my 60 second radio commercials. And, and again, remember I was on there so much that people got sick of hearing me. That was, that was the uh, business model. They were all funny, funny or sarcastic or biting. There was none of this stuff sure you know we fight for you kind of like that was that went completely out the window i've never been that kind of lawyer i and in fact some of my advertisements made fun of those lawyers and that i think was attractive to a lot of people i actually had one uh not a radio ad but a television commercial one time where i (laughs) where i had an actor who was an older gentleman pretending to be a lawyer and i said you know then i come on and i'm like I ain't him. <laughs> and that and that resonated with a lot of people. So I played to my differences and and I can't really explain why it works or why it worked, but it did work because I went from, you know, being alone with a box of tissues, not knowing where the second month's rent was going to come from to having a thriving practice with I have a dozen people who work here and many of them for a very long time with uh, a ton of clientele and we do great work and we're totally different from the humble beginnings, but you know, not without all the blood, sweat and tears. But again, it was, you have to be different. You have to not be a sheep and, and stand out. But that also has to be kind of natural, right? Like, this is natural for me. I've, and you probably don't remember, but you know, years ago, this is me. Like what you see is what you get. I wasn't pretending to be somebody who was funny. I wasn't pretending to be somebody who wanted to stand out. I just was. And then I worked it. And 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 that was um the the formula for success. Now, when you were sitting there with just a box of tissues, mm-hmm. one desk, not mm-hmm. making money to start, mm-hmm. what what kept you in the game? What sat there cuz like, you know, you probably sat there and said, well, I can go to back to another firm and negotiate not a shitty deal like the first one I had. But what made what made you stick with it? Because so many times people just say they get scared or, you know, they're, they're, you know that feeling where you go to sleep at night and you're like, God, am I going to make any money? You know, and, and, it's, and it, it racks your, your brain. But what made you stick with it? When, when a lot of people probably would have walked away because a lot of people do walk away. Businesses... When they don't do well, people think, oh, it's a great idea. Let's go open this business. And then all of a sudden they go, holy shit, it's a year and a half. I'm working 75 hours a week and I, I, I see nothing. What kept you in the game? 
you know, that's, that's the second awesome question uh, that I've ever had. Uh, to me, I don't ever like quitting was not an option. Like it just was, was not an option. I, I knew I didn't want to go work for somebody else. And there was just nothing. I've had many sleepless nights prior to that, you know, what, with that, like, am I going to make any money? How, you know, drowning in debt, like all, law school. I remember in law school after, I think it was after moving from the complex that we shared, um, when I had to choose between paying the lights and paying for the phone. And back then phones were, you didn't need electricity. They weren't, you know, you plugged them into a wall. So I always would opted to let not pay my electric bill because then when my parents called me, they wouldn't know that I didn't have light. Like they wouldn't know that anything was wrong. And I had many of those years like that. But then when I went out on my own, it was, failure was literally not an option. I was gonna figure out how to make money. I was gonna figure out how to get the phone to ring. I was gonna figure out how to do that. And then I think the bright star moment was when that started to work, when the phone started to ring and when clients started to come and when I did start to, you know, make some money so I didn't have to borrow rent from my parents um, as a lawyer in, you know, in a new state uh, that just built the momentum just built. And then it became like, there was no way that was not going to happen anymore. Like there was no, there was the, the past was gone. It was always going to continue in that, in that vein. And I still, that's a, just a gut feeling that has never gone away in all that time. It never goes away ever. Now, don't get me wrong. You can have lean months. You can have a, a global pandemic that, you know, sort of breaks up your whole routine. You can have these things that scare you. You can have family members that are, you have to give your attention to and take attention away from your business because their, their health or what have you. But the core of that, th that knowledge of knowing that you have what it takes to do it day in and day out. And even if you hit a bump in the road, you're going to get past the bump is so con I get chills just talking about it right now. It's just comforting. And you, every person deserves to feel that every person, if you don't feel it, figure out how to feel it because it's immensely helpful in getting from point A to point B. Well, as you're getting to point A to point B, how do you decide and when do you decide to start adding more services instead of DUI? And then also when do you decide that it is the right time to start bringing on people? Because once again, there's good times. It's if it's just you and you know a paralegal, that's one thing. But if you start, you know, hiring other lawyers, and I'm sure you're a good boss because you went through that shitty deal. So that's like anything. People usually go, "I'm not going to do this to my people," because years later they're going to be a podcast saying, "Oh yeah, this popular woman law lawyer in Poughkeepsie paid me whatever." But how did you know when it was time to expand? Did it was it just? The business where you're just overwhelmed or you just once again as you said followed your gut i did follow my gut and you know one of the reasons why i brought on say my first i still remember my first um associate who i could not afford but i figured out a way to afford him and i brought him in because while i'm still building this business i was still doing tv stuff and I couldn't give full attention to the business and full attention to the TV stuff. So I needed somebody to be me when I had to, you know, go do my thing. And so it started with one associate and I, I hired a, a, a family member, a cousin to answer the phone. So I got her cheap. I hired the associate and then 
he would bring in more business. And then I hired a second and then a third and a fourth. And I, you know, like, like I said, over the years, I've had several and several support staff and they've all helped to basically pay for themselves um, is, is what they were able to do. And now there was one little tiny, like fly in the ointment. When you put yourself out there as the face of your business, and obviously I'm the face of my business. When people come in to hire you, they want you. And we went through this whole kind of way to sort of shift the business model and, and the marketing because people were coming in and they might get me, they might not. It would depend on schedules, it depends on, depend on who was here. And some people were getting pissed off about that. And I, and I got it, but I didn't get it. So we had to really, in fact, some of my competitors early on, when they figured out that that was some sort of Achilles heel for people, they would advertise, well, well, when you hire me, you get me. And that was a dig on me. So I had to figure out how to shift that and, and turn it around and make, make the public realize that we are a team. And I'm just, you know, I'm the Derek Jeter of this team. And my stamp is on everything. And eventually it didn't happen overnight. We were able to do that. And I know that, you know, I don't know if there are any solo practitioners or entrepreneurs listening to this, but that is something that I would make sure people know as you build your business, that it's great to be the face. You want to be the face, but you also have to make, you, you can't do it alone. And you have to make sure that people are comfortable with all the people that support the face. Now, being a woman business owner, as I said, you know, I've, I've told the story before. I'm, I've always been, uh, I love women business owners just for the fact that my mom and I've told this people so bear with me people she's never heard this my mom graduated uh, Temple University in 1952 she was the only woman in her marketing class Wow! only woman and when she was going into her senior year she already had a job with Campbell soup now she worked and they waited to have me I mean my dad was 40 when he had me and my mom was 33 which was old and then she waited and then she went left work and then she went back so I always grew up with a, a, a very strong female business model, but I never looked at it as a female. I just looked at it as a business. Like when I did stand-up comedy, I never looked at, oh, someone's a female comic. I said, oh, they're a comic. But I've learned that even in the year 2022, there's some people that just, they, they don't get it. Like they don't, they don't accept women all the time. They still think like, you know, and I talk to women all the time about this, where they think, oh, well, you know, she doesn't know as much because, you know, she's a woman. And you, you're playing in a, a notoriously big-time guys club. I mean, you go to Philadelphia, New York. It's, you know, until recently. You know, go to those places, it's all male lawyers. You know, like the guys from Trading Places. They look like that. Like, they should be hanging out with them. How did you start breaking that? I mean, how do you, as, as, as a woman, sit there and say, no, I, I'm not a woman. I'm a lawyer. How did you start breaking into that boys club? That's so cool. You know, I, I, part of it is I never, ever looked at myself as, uh, I don't want to say I didn't look at myself as a woman. I never looked at myself as being inferior to my male colleagues, even though I know like society sometimes might try to put that stamp on you, but I did not grow up with a stamp that being a woman made me inferior in any way, shape or form. Now. Um, so, so I didn't go in, I didn't go into this timidly and like I had to prove myself because of my gender. That was never, ever on the table ever. And just because of my upbringing. 
But I will say that in the beginning, and, and this happened more so in San Diego in the, in the early stages of my career, when I first got licensed, and again, you might not remember, but I had, I looked like I belonged to the beach. I had big, long, curly hair. I didn't, you know, didn't have the, the money for a, a very good wardrobe. I, you know, I was a, a lawyer on a shoestring who looked like a young woman who should have a surfboard instead of a, you know, briefcase. And so when I would walk into court in San Diego, this happened a lot. The front row would always have a sign that said reserved for attorneys. So I'd go beep off and in, you know, with my little Jones of New York skirt that my mother bought me or whatever. And I would get the, the, the bailiff would grab me by the arm and say, you know, miss, you got to sit back here. And I would look at him and say, no, I, I'm a lawyer. There's a sign. Lawyers, all, I'm a lawyer. And then they'd make me pull out my bar card and prove it. One time I actually, I got so sick of it. I got so, because it did irritate me. I got so sick of it that I went to, I don't know, drugstore or whatever. And I bought a pair of glasses that didn't have any prescription in them. They were just plain, but glasses, not sunglasses. And I started to wear those <laughs> whenever I was in court. And then I was like, one day I literally, I was in the clerk's office filing something and I'm, I have these stupid glasses on, they were round. And I said, what am I doing? Like, what am I doing? This is not me. These glasses are not me. It doesn't matter that I don't look like a lawyer. I am a goddamn lawyer. And so I threw the glasses away and said, not happening. And then I just, uh, you know, asserted myself. Like, if you're going to treat me like I wasn't a professional, I was going to make sure that you did treat me like a professional. Not just because I'm a woman, just because I was a professional. I may have been a young one. I may have been a dumb one, but I was still a professional. So it was like a straight line if you if you wanted to come at me with some sort of uh derogatory comment or talk to me like i was a you know a dumb girl i wasn't gonna have it and i don't really i don't feel like i suffer that so much anymore but that probably just comes with the territory i'm in a you know i'm a medium-sized fish in a small town people know me um and i and i hope that most people at this point in my career are like me but in the beginning it was almost it was almost comical. Now you also, uh, besides doing the advice on the radio, you have a radio show. How did that start? And I know you have a lot of um, spiritual or motivational people. And yeah. you know how how did how did you get into that? And and what do you like about that? I mean, because for me, I love interviewing people because I just love interviewing people. People fascinate me. But for you, it's different. I mean, there's two of you, and then there's your producer you make fun of. I know that, whatever, you always make fun of them on social media. But tell me how the, the radio show came up. So that was a nice little side hustle. And it came up because I am, you know, I, I like to consume inspirational content. I like to be motivated. I'm a Tony Robbins fan. I'm a Mel Robbins fan. I'm an Oprah fan. Like, I enjoy, and I have always enjoyed that. I always think people should be on a quest to improve themselves, be the best that they can be. So because if you're the best you can be, then you can be uh, of, of service to others and be the best that you can be for other people. So I'm always consuming that, always. And one time it happened to be on the radio where I give legal advice. They were interviewing an author before I, I was coming on the air. And her name was Carol Pesci and she had just written a book called Happy Bitch. And one of the, the station managers then threw the book at me and he said, read this book because she's coming in for an interview and I want you to do the interview. I was like, well, okay. 
So long story short, I read her book. I love the book and I reached out to her and I said, you have taken a concept that I love, which is the law of attraction. I said, you've taken the concept of the law of attraction and you've bitchified it. And I think that this is a message that women should know more of. So we got our heads together. I went back to the radio station where I had been giving free legal advice. And I said, give us a radio show. <laughs> and they did. So we've been doing that now for over um, 10 years. We've changed radio stations kind of midstream. But what we do is we bring authors of all kinds, male, female, doesn't matter. If you have something to say that's going to help somebody else, you can be a guest on our show. And then we've developed such a friendship over the years that that chemistry is kind of the, the always there. And then the guest is whoever the guest is going to be. And it's just, I got to be honest with you, it's a, it's a ton of fun. And I, you know, and I hope that we're doing that until we're in, you know, wheelchairs with gray hair. Although I'm never going to have gray, gray hair. Carol might, she might, but I'm never going to have gray hair by design. But I hope we're still doing it for a long time to come. Well, now you're on TV still. Now, how does how do the TV jobs come up? Like, tell me some of the TV jobs you're doing. I know you're on Fox, and you know, but do they just call you and say, oh, "Hey, okay, we have this," and or you know, I know, I think you know, is there certain topics they talk about? But tell me about what you're doing on TV now, and is it the same thing you were doing when you started? Have you kept the same thing going? Yeah. So basically, what I do is, you know legal commentary and the the stations that do that are all like excuse me the cable news stations but what i've done just be, out of time constraints is i used to do them all every sort of news station if you needed a legal commentator people would call me up i don't have an agent they call me up and i would do it since then i really just focus on fox where i've been the longest you know i've got a, a sense of loyalty there and i do a lot for them so behind the scenes which you don't see on camera like when they have things that come up and questions that come up on things that they're going to talk about even if i'm not talking about them they call me and we collaborate which is and i love it i love the people there i absolutely do but then that also offshoot to court tv and law and crime and you know i've done appearances uh paid appearances in australia from right here in new york city um, I do the commentary for a lot of the oxygen shows like Snapped and Killer Couples. And they just found me again through the circle. And that's fun work. And, you know, and, and you never know when those uh, shows are going to come up. So it's kind of like catch as catch can when it comes to that. But they're great fun. And once you get on their radar, you you stay on their radar. So it's it's. And it breaks up the monotony. I love doing that stuff. I really do. Well, now, okay, the law you handle, I know you handled DUIs, you handled divorce, right? Yeah. Now, now, to me, you must have some insane stories. I mean, that must be something that you must see shit, you know, that people, I mean, you know, when I got divorced, it was easy. Nothing. Boom. No kids. I don't even talk to her. Actually, I did talk to her when I had to get a divorce decree because I didn't know where it was when I was getting remarried. And luckily, I'm still friends with her sister on Facebook. So I said, can you give me your email? And she sent me it. And that was fine. Easy. But there's some divorces that are crazy. What do you do when you're embroiled in a, such a divorce that you go, holy crap, this is going to be forever? I mean, how do you handle it? Because, you know, especially if someone's like a real jerk, like if you're getting someone who's a real jerk, do you sit there and go, man... I want to destroy this person because because they're a jerk. 
No, that, that's a resounding no. I never want to destroy somebody because they're a jerk, but I will say that divorce brings out the jerk in a lot of people. And so even though like we know divorce law, like the back of our hands and we can, we can tell somebody when you come in, I can tell you what, with a pretty good uh, degree of certainty, what a judge is going to do based on your, what I call your marital pie, right? Your assets, your debts. It's, it's kind of simple math in, in most cases. The problem with people in divorce is that their heads, get so spun around that they don't care. Like they don't, they go beyond what a judge is gonna give them and they just wanna exact revenge or they wanna make sure that they quote win, even though divorce is not a contest to be won or lost. And they make decisions with this emotion. And not only will that cost a, a person a shit ton more money, but it never, like there is a way to, to be better after divorce. And if you're miserable during the process and you're doing things to punish the other side and you're motivated by some sense of revenge, you're gonna be miserable during the divorce. And guess what? You're gonna be miserable after the divorce because the decisions you make during divorce are long lasting. And if you make them from a place of uh, anger and hatred, it's gonna stick with you. So I view my role as a, when I'm handling a divorce to first help a client try to get their heads on straight and then, you know, guide them into how their stuff is going to be split up because, you know, divorce is what happens when a marriage goes out of business and you got to look at it that way. And trust me, when people fall out of love, oh my God, I have heard some people fall out of love. They really fall out of love. And I'll say to them, look, you, you know, you love this person at one time, you spend a, a ton of money on a five hour party. Now you're going to complain about spending money <laughs> to, to get divorced. You got to get your priority straight. Divorce is a process. It's going to cost money. You don't have to hate the other side for that. It's just like when you spend money on something else you don't want to. I had to get a tooth extracted. It cost me $5,000 freaking dollars. You think I wanted to spend money? No, but I had to. And I wrapped my mind around it and I kept going. So it's, it's very similar to that. And it's rough. It can really be rough. People think you can get divorced amicably. I've been a, an attorney now for almost 30 years. I've not seen that happen. Not once. <laughs> so. Now, we're friends on Facebook, and you post a lot of videos on Facebook. Tell me about your fascination with wine. Because I used to, actually, one thing I do remember, you used to sit, I remember you would, because we lived on the third floor and you were in a building across, and you, sure. would, you would always be having a glass of wine. What, and it seems like it's, you've built that into part of your brand, too. I mean, where did the fascination with wine came, and, and where did you decide to keep it going, where now people know, oh, yeah, your videos, you're going you're gonna to have wine. Right. So, okay, so that's a thing. And that's a little bit of... Um, I guess, self-deprecating humor, because you, I use that so much in my social media that people probably think that I'm an alcoholic, <laughs> but I'm not, I use that as a prop because you might not remember what I'm saying, right? You might not remember that. You might not even remember that I'm a lawyer when I post these videos on social media. Sometimes I'm talking law, sometimes I'm not. But there is something about a person who is always going to have a glass of wine. And if I'm talking law and I have a glass of wine, those two things don't seem to go together. So they're going to stand out to the people who are watching and sort of become part of the brand. So you remember who I am. 
you may not remember the person who's just like, you know, and these are your rights after a car accident, right? You're not going to remember that. But if I'm sitting in my living room and we're having a conversation, that's part of kind of what I'm trying to portray. We're having a conversation, but it doesn't have to be a stuffy conversation. It doesn't have to be full of legalese, but I'm having a glass of wine, grab your glass of wine, and I'm going to give you the skinny on, you know, pick the topic du jour with legal related or not legal related or business related. And that's why I do. And it also sort of, uh, you know, it kind of makes me more comfortable. Sometimes I don't want to be all tucked in talking to you about the law because that's not who I am. I'm passionate about it. I like to tell it like it is. I don't like to get all out here esoteric. You know, it's not, it's, it's a conversation that I want people to be able to remember and appreciate and understand. And that's kind of my way of saying that's who I am simply by holding a glass of wine. Maybe it's effective, maybe it's not, but I do like wine. So there we go. <laughs> What, uh, what advice would you have for anyone who wants to start their own business? Because you have so much shit going on. I don't even know how, how you like balance it because it's one thing to run a business, but then you have the TV and then you have your social media. Then you have, you do some, I believe, some writing or stuff. You do different stuff. How, what would you tell someone what to expect when they're opening their own business? It can be any business. It can be a law practice. It can be a fried clam shop. I don't care. Yeah. But what uh what what would you say what would you tell them? Oh boy. Okay. So first I would tell them to, you know, do your best to make sure that this is clearly what you want. Like get clear. You want to make the best clams in town, then then okay, get clear on that. If you want to make the best bracelets in town, get clear on that. You want to be the best lawyer in town, get clear on that. And then have an abiding conviction in your ability to do it, no matter how many stones are going to get thrown your way. And you're gonna get stoned by people you don't even contemplate. For example, not everybody's gonna love your clams. Not everybody is gonna love your bracelets. Not everybody is gonna love your law or the way you practice it or your message. And people in this day and age, especially Steve, like maybe this didn't happen 20 years ago. I know it didn't happen 20 years ago, but now, with social media and the way people have been conditioned to bitch about everything and the way people have been conditioned to cancel people, the, to, the way people have been conditioned to troll social media and you know under fake personas and say horrible things. Like that's a thing, people, people that's a pastime now for some. Those people are out there. And they are going to, I don't care how good your product is, I don't care how good your service is, I don't care how good you are, there are people who are gonna find a way to get under your skin. Do not let them. And even better, take what they're throwing at you and use it to your advantage. That's like, then you really sleep good at night because you're not gonna let them get under your skin. And the more they do it, the more you're gonna be fueled to succeed so you can use that to propel you and keep you going have a stiff upper lip have a very thick skin that's the main thing if i really if i had to leave the the planet with one thing it would be your skin needs to be thicker than you will ever realize it does and if you can maintain that and stay the course you will be unstoppable you will be unstoppable through the thick, through the thin, through the bad months, the good months. You will be unstoppable. That's that's what I would tell people. And I know that 
it's probably easier said than done, but that's what got me through. But I did it the hard way. I really had to learn it the hard way. One final question. What is in the future for Jonas Spillboard? Where do you see in five years? What do you, you know, are you, are you going to keep building your law practice or are you okay where it is now? Are you going to try to get more TV? Cause you're always on the go. You know, what do you see in the next five years? What I would love to see in the next five years, I would love to be able to kind of pass the torch in this, in the law practice, because built it pretty good and it can be a great future for, um, for others, maybe a great future for some of the people who currently work here, maybe a great future for somebody who um, wants to own a practice someday. I would love to pass pass the torch. And there are, there's so many people in this office that I care about that I would, I would love to leave a legacy to them. Um, So maybe in the next five years, they could take more of the wheel and I can have more of a little background. And then if that were the case, and I still want to be there here to help and mentor, I would write my ass off. I would be writing books, essays, right, right, right. I would write to my little heart's content. And then every once in a while, put me on TV to help somebody through something. And then on top of all that, I would love to have what I call Jonna's Puppy Emporium, where I am surrounded by hundreds of stray dogs that I either rehome or rehab because I think (laughs) dogs are the absolute best. And that would be a a perfect life if I could sit back, write, do an occasional TV, pet a hundred dogs and drink my wine. Well, that's awesome, John. I want to thank you for coming on. Now, how can people get in touch with you? All right, so that's easy. You know, I am so gettable. You could always reach me at my office by calling my office. I'll give you the number. It's 845-485-2529. We have a website, johnnaspilborlaw.com, that you can email me through. Or my favorite, find me on Facebook. I mean, I'm all over social media, but Facebook seems to be the easiest for me to navigate. Uh, So find me on Facebook. So people go find Jonna and if you need law help, hit her up, look for her on the news. Um, you can go to lecooptank.podbean.com or on uh, Spotify, Amazon Music or iHeart to hear all my past episodes. You can hear my other podcast at coopertalk.net. You can email me, thecooptank at yahoo.com if you need any uh advice about interviewing people um i can sit there i do coach people how to be a better interviewer i also we can bring you into the studio and we can do a great interview for your social media we can do it in person or online and that's about it i want to thank my producer joe ganjemi who always kicks ass i'm steve cooper and i will talk to you guys next week 